Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning will be in the book of Luke chapter 17. If you would turn with me, Luke chapter 17. Using the Bible in the pew in front of you, you can turn to page 1041, page 1041 in the pew Bible in front of you. Luke 17, and I'll read verses 1 through 5. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Well, uh, Scott Plath, Pastor Scott, he was going to be preaching this morning. And he, uh, of course, he got COVID. We've been praying for him. He's back home, finished up his antibiotics. He is uh, better on the men, uh, Lord willing. His uh, worship leader is, was sicker than he was. He had COVID as well, but he is, uh, he is doing better. He's still hospitalized, but he's improving. So that's a, a word of thanks to the Lord for that. We've been praying for them. But um, you got to listen to me uh, t- today. I love having other, we have men that are capable of preaching and love to preach, and we want to give them an opportunity. We're about to jump into Exodus uh, next week's Mother's Day. We're going to talk about mamas and uh, how mothers are supposed to conduct themselves, um, addressed directly to mothers next week. And then after that, we're going to start in the book of Exodus. And so we'll get in a routine of some of our men who can handle the word and, and want to preach, give them an opportunity to preach as well give you a break from listening to me, hear, hear the truth from a different voice. Uh, but I'm with you today, Luke chapter 17. It's been a wonderful day. We've got a great uh, day today. I want, I want to say something about tonight. Tonight is a, a church fellowship. It's for us a time for us to be able to come together. We have small groups. Some meet Sunday morning, some meet Sunday night. Um, but this is a time for us uh, not to have small groups meeting, but for us to meet as a church family. It is a fellowship. It's a perfect time for you if you have a friend who's not a church person. Uh, they don't go to church, but maybe you've been wanting them to come. This is a perfect opportunity for you to bring somebody. Give a little, you say, hey, I'm going to buy you dinner tonight. You got to eat. You might as well eat with us, right? Come and eat. Um, we're going to eat fish, and uh, we're going to have a great time. Uh, it is a fundraiser for our, our Idaho mission trip, and as we, if we have any food left over, we'll be taking that to our shut-ins and um, getting them fed as well. But uh, it is a great opportunity for you to bring somebody tonight. Um, no service, no uh, preaching, just just being together and getting to know each other better. So I encourage you to do that. Luke 17, verses 1 through 5, and I was thinking too as Jamie was reading He's like got the voice of like somebody that you, you know the audio Bible people. Like he's got that voice. I mean, I was like, Jamie did a great job reading the scripture. I was like, yeah, I like him reading. So he did a great job. I appreciate you, brother. Um, Blake, did you see it, me coming up here? Did you see what happened? I was coming on to come up here to preach, and my wife she wanted to get one last hug before I got up. You saw that, didn't you? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna talk about that in just a second. Well, I did a wedding uh, last weekend. For, for Mackenzie, used to be Moody, and uh, Mackenzie and Cody, I did a wedding. It was the last weekend. Is that right? 
Yeah, I can't like last weekend or the weekend before. Last weekend, and as they're saying their vows, they're making their promises to one another, they're uh, exchanging rings, placing rings on one another's fingers, they're just gazing in each other's eyes, just this passionate looking in each other's eyes, just loving each other. And, and I, I could, as I'm watching them gaze in each other's eyes, and um, I, I, can, I can relate because I had that experience uh, as well. So I know the, the emotions they were feeling. But I also know, as, as I'm watching them, I also know, you know, those sweet, passionate stares at some time, maybe in, in weeks or months or years, they're going to give way to another look. That's not so wonderful, right? Um, and, and, and so, I, Blake, I brought that up. As I'm coming up here, my wife just wanted to give me some love and this little hug right before I get up here just to encourage me, I guess. But, you know, Jenny at times, she can't keep her hands off of me. Case in point, right here, I'm trying to preach. The woman's wanting some, you know, wanting some loving and wanting some, some affection from her man. Um, but believe it or not, there are times when she wants to kill me. And I, as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about my, my I had a, a co-worker um, years ago. She was a, her name was Andrea, and she was a massage therapist, and she just waited tables at night just to make some extra money. And I told her, I was like, man, I bet your husband, he's, he's happy. He gets to reap the benefits of your profession. And she just real quickly told me, she says, I don't touch my husband. And I was like, Whoop. okay. She said, we don't have too good a marriage. I was like, I can tell, I can tell. <laughs> but you know, Andrea and her husband, even though they were at odds at that point in time, uh, I know at one point in time they did, just as Mackenzie and Cody did, and they gazed each other's eyes, you know, and, and gave, you know, these wonderful glances at each other of affection and, and, and care. But... Think about why we have such difficulty, why we have those difficult times, why, why we have problems. You know, why does Jenny at times want to kill her sweet, sensitive, caring husband? <laughs> it's because of conflict. It's because of sin. It's because of relational sin which is the cause of much hurt and cause of divorce and pain and so on and so forth. In our passage today, Jesus is, gives us some instruction on relational sin and how to deal with it. And so kind of set the context. In the Gospel of Luke, you, chapter 9, verse 51, it says, I won't read it to you, but it says that Jesus set himself to go to Jerusalem. And we know he's going to Jerusalem to, to lay his life down for, for us. It's what we just celebrated and commemorated at the Lord's Supper. He's going to Jerusalem because he's going to die for sinners. But in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says he sets, he's setting his face towards Jerusalem. And then we don't see him in Jerusalem until chapter 19, the end of chapter 19, when he finally arrives in Jerusalem. So you got the end of chapter 9 all the way to chapter 19, and these are the last months of Jesus' ministry. And so we're right at the end of that time in Luke chapter 17. And in Luke chapter 16... Luke has just recorded Jesus' words to the Pharisees, and he's just confronted them with their hypocrisy by telling the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Most of you know that story. And some think, well, this passage is not tied together at all with the, the rich man and Lazarus, 
But I think we have to keep in mind, sometimes there's break in scriptures, you know, where we, we're moving from one place to the next or, or, or a conversation with, with different people. But, but I feel like this is tied together, the, the rich man and Lazarus story, parable, with our text here in, in Luke chapter 17, verse 1 through 5. I, I think what's happening here, Jesus knew that some of the teachings of the Pharisees and their, their hypocritical ways would cause some of the new converts to be hindered or will cause them to stumble. And so I think that's what's happening contextually in our text today. But the first thing we, we see in our text, chapter 17, verse 1 through 5, is that be careful not to sin in your relationship with others and avoid being a stumbling block. In verse 1, Jesus said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. If you have a New American Standard, it'll say the stumbling blocks or, or, or temptations to sin are inevitable. They are sure to come, which means they're to be expected, right? We know they're going to happen, unfortunately. Think about our old nature. We're, we're selfish. We're greedy. We are gossips. We're malicious. This is our old nature, right? This is who we are before salvation. And, but now... Jerry doesn't have to be malicious and selfish and self-absorbed because he's set free. He's a born-again believer, and he has the Spirit of God living in him. He has a, he has a, a new nature. He has a, the Spirit of God helping him. He doesn't have to give way to such sins, but that is our old habits. That's our default mode, unfortunately. And so we need to be on our guard always against such sins that will cause others to stumble. So the question for us is, are we living guarded lives, seeking not to cause others to stumble. Well, I guess the first thing we need to define is what is a stumbling block? What does it mean to cause someone to stumble? Well, cheese on a mousetrap, that's a stumbling block. Or as you're trying to get out of the pew, someone putting their foot out, that would be a stumbling block for you. That, those are physical stumbling blocks. But Jesus, of course, here is speaking of spiritual stumbling. And this spiritual, a spiritual stumbling block is anything that entices, lures, or causes one to lessen their faithfulness to Christ. A stumbling block is anything that causes someone to be less faithful to the Lord. So what are some examples? Let's, let's look biblically. What are some examples of stumbling blocks? I think Romans 14 um, addresses this issue in causing a weaker brother to struggle. Paul knew that all foods were clean, okay to eat. You know, back in the old covenant, there was kosher foods. That's the way the Lord set apart the, the Israelites, set apart the Jews. They ate only certain foods. There's certain foods they would not touch. It set them apart. But now, the new covenant, Jesus declared all foods clean. So Paul knows, yeah, it doesn't matter where it comes from. It, you can eat it. But some of the new Christians had a problem with eating food that had been sacrificed to idols. They, had, they were saved out of this lifestyle of idolatry and going to the... the the temples where, where food was sacrificed to these false gods. So Paul says not to eat it unless you cause your weaker brother to stumble. Let's read Romans 14, 13 through 15. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, in other words, there's a, someone who's recently saved out of that lifestyle and they've been in a routine of going to the, 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 the temple 
to offer sacrifice to idols, that may be a problem for them. For if a brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And then verses 19 and 20 of the same chapter. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In other words, don't make people stumble. Don't hinder someone in their walk with Christ. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. I'm in Christ. Eh, I got freedom. I can do those things. There's no, there's no prohibition in the Scripture. There's no uh, command in Scripture that says, I can't do this. But if you do that certain thing that you have freedom to do and it causes someone else to stumble, what's Paul say? I'll never eat it again. Yeah, being a stumbling lot, doing something that you have freedom to do that a younger Christian may struggle with and causing them to struggle, that would be a stumbling block. Another, another example, same chapter, Romans 14, verse 23, is encouraging someone to go against their conscience. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. In other words, going against your conscience. You know, I don't think that's right. Oh, it'll be all right. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Go, causing someone to go against their conscience is, is being a stumbling blah. Teaching false doctrine, Acts chapter 20, verse 29 through 31. Paul, he's warning the Ephesian elders. This is the last time he sees them. This is the, this is the scene where they're embracing and kissing and loving on each other and crying because Paul tells them, I'll never see you again. And he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. Teaching false doctrine, teaching people things that aren't true, that's a stumbling block. That's causing someone to be less faithful to Christ. And another thing is just being a bad example. That's kind of a given, isn't it? Just being a terrible example. Think about siblings, right? You have siblings that one's a, one sibling, maybe the older sibling's a believer, born-again believer, but they're just nasty to their sister or brother. Being a terrible example. Yeah, that could cause someone to stumble. Being a bad example. Peter was a bad example, and if you remember in Antioch, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, Paul rebukes Peter. Peter had had the vision. Remember of Cornelius? He's the Roman, um, the Roman soldier sent for Peter. And Peter, the, the night before the, uh, Cornelius' servants came to ask him to come to Cornelius' house, he has this vision of, of this sheet and has all these, these animals that are not clean to eat. And in the dream, the Lord says, kill and eat. And Peter says, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm a Jew. And the Lord rebukes him in the dream. And then the next day, he gets these servants from this Gentile, unclean soldier. Ask Peter to come to his house, and, and the Lord tells him to go. And, and so he goes to Cornelius' house, shares the gospel, and he, sees, he hears them speak in tongues and sees their believers too, just like us. 
And so he knows, yeah, Gentiles can be saved just like Jews. They don't have to become Jews first. They just place their faith and trust in Christ. They repent and believe. Just like Jews. There's no difference. So he's in Antioch, and there's a bunch of Gentile believers there. And Paul's there. Paul's one of the faith. And Peter's just interacting with them just like he would anyone else. Well, all of a sudden, from Jerusalem come some leaders from the church. Jerusalem church sent some people to Antioch just to see how things were going. Well, all of a sudden, Peter starts acting differently. He separates himself from the Gentiles. And Paul does what Paul does so well. He rebukes the fire out of Peter. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, meaning the Jews. And, the, and this is the kicker. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically. That's never a good thing. They acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Peter was a terrible example. And we can be bad examples for others. And the tendency for us, sometimes as we read this text, is to be on guard against others and not think about our own inclination to be a, to be a hindrance. But we also have to watch out for how we ourselves conduct ourselves. You know, that, that whole take the log out of our own eye before we can take the speck out of someone else's eye. But, but stumbling blocks are prevalent. Jesus says they are sure to come. They are inevitable because of our default mode. Man, it's so easy just to blow it, isn't it? Think about with parents. And, and, and you could say that too. I talked about siblings, you know, but parents just being a bad example for our kids. And we do, we, we blow it all the time, don't we? And we have to say, hey, kids, dad, I was in the flesh. I was terrible. That's the, that's the worst way to handle that situation. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, sometimes we have to do that. But we want to be good examples. We don't want to be one to cause someone to stumble. Be careful not to be a stumbling block for others. And the reason for that is, is in verse 2. Be careful not to sin in your relationships because God views relational sin very seriously. Look at verse 2. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea that he should, than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Verse 2 here, God takes this very serious. This is a pretty serious crime, causing others to stumble. He says it would be better off to have a millstone tied around. A millstone's a big stone, big heavy. Most of them were big. Some of them were small. But if you look at the parallel passages in Matthew and Mark, it talks about this being a big stone. So we don't want to just tie a little stone around your neck and throw you into the sea. No, we want it to be big because we want you to sink quickly, right? We're going to take this stone and, and wrap it around your neck and throw the stone overboard. And when that goes overboard, you go with it, right? It would be better off means it would be less worse to be drowned mafia style than to cause someone to lessen their faithfulness to Christ. I mean, this is something you see on the Godfather, right? Not something you expect to see in Scripture. But this is where Al Capone got it, right, from the text. And who are the little ones? We think little ones. We think of the ones who just went back to children's church. And, and 
Yeah, that may include them. For sure it includes them, but I think it's just talking about believers. I think the parallel passages of Matthew and Mark illustrate that as well. They're the tax collectors and sinners who have repented and, and began to walk with Christ. In fact, Matthew chapter 18, verse 7 through 9, this parallel passage in Matthew is really helpful, I think, and it's, it's familiar to you as well. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Anytime you see woe, that's a bad thing. And if your hand or your foot cause you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye cause you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It would be better for you to enter life with one eye than two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. So in Matthew's account of this teaching, what, what, is, what is Jesus saying about stumbling or causing others to stumble? It's hyperbolic language. He used that to make a point. It should be avoided. Avoid that at all costs. Don't be a stumbling block. Don't cause the little ones to, to sin. And then verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. And it seems like it'll be a better fit with verses 1 and 2 than what follows. Be on your guard, right? Be on our guard because we're all prone to, to blow it, right? But what should happen if one does cause another to stumble? Look at verse 3 and 4. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So the third thing we learn from our text is when sin occurs, when someone is caused to stumble, we deal with the sin of others biblically. It says rebuke him. And sometimes rebuke, we, that's a kind of a harsh word. It's kind of harsh, kind of means kind of in your, we kind of have the word, it's kind of in your face, you know. Maybe it's a little forthright. Think about maybe somebody even being loud, not necessarily so, but another word we could use is maybe admonish. Admonish is, is just a more, it just has a tender, more better tender feel for it. Admonish one another. It's the same meaning. It's, you're just pointing out the sin, bringing it to their attention. But should we rebuke someone every time they sin? Like every little thing they do? I don't think so. If that was the case, we're constantly just point, 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 right? And in fact, we have other texts, Colossians 3, 12 through 13, that tells us to, to, be, to bear with one another. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And, and that's what we do. We bear with each other. I mean, so many of us, we know each other so well. We know each other. We know the, our strengths. We know our weaknesses, right? And so what do we do? We bear with one another. We don't constantly point things out. At times we do. And we'll talk about that in just a second. When do you know? How do you know when to do that? But we bear with each other. And sometimes we say things, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we just bite our tongue and we just pray. And yeah, that's, that's, his, that's his weakness. That's her weakness. I'm going to let that go and I'm just going to love him. I'm not going to say anything. Because we have bad days. We get in the flesh, you know. 
And Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 tells us to show tolerance for one another in love. So there's times where we overlook those things and it's kind of bear with, put up with. We don't bring it up. So how do you know? How do you know when you bear with someone, overlook it, and then when you bring it to their attention? Sometimes hard to know. We don't always get that right. But again, I'm glad those in my family, my wife, my kids, my parents, uh, I'm glad Michael and Morgan, we work a lot together. They know my struggles. They know my weaknesses. And there's times they have to put up with it, you know, and I do the same. It's just what we do. We love each other. And yeah, has a lot of strengths, but yeah, I got a weakness there. Okay. Today's one of those days we'll have to just deal with that. Yeah, that's what we do. But So how do you know? When do you bring it to someone's attention? Here's a couple suggestions. If the sin is directed specifically against you, then maybe you should bring that to their attention. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. And I just emphasize you, right? But I think that's the, the, the point. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. If, if something is directed directly at you. Someone's upset, they're in the flesh, and they just say a bunch of stuff. You know, uh, that's one thing. But if they're saying it directly to you, that's, maybe that's different. Maybe you address that, maybe you point that out. Another reason that would cause us to bring that to their attention is does it make the Lord look bad? You think, well, all sin makes the Lord look bad. Well, yeah, but some sins, some things are obvious and seen and some aren't. But we, we, there's, we should let nothing go that diminishes God's glory. You're defaming God's name. You're making God look bad, dude. That has to be brought to lie. That has to be pointed out. And sometimes, like I said, it's hard to know. It's, eh, should I point that out? Should I not? Is, are, would other people see that and, and think, dude, you're a Christian? Or, man. Is it, is it hurting others? Well, of course, all sin hurts others. But is it hurting someone else? And also, is, is it causing you to lose respect for them? Maybe another reason to bring that to their attention. So when you do rebuke, admonish someone, how do you do that? And we've, we've, you've, this is nothing new, but we do it gently, right? We bring it to their attention gently, and there's different ways of doing that. And this is the thing. People that you rebuke, I rebuke my son. I rebuke my son differently than I would rebuke Mr. Glenn. It's just different. Because my relationship with them is different, right? Their age is different. But also personalities are different. It's different. Rodney, I would rebuke him maybe a little bit differently than I rebuke Bo because of personality differences. And that just comes with just praying and knowing people and, you know, sometimes trial and error, getting it wrong sometimes. But we don't rebuke everybody the same. We handle that differently. But we always do it gently. 
And there's some people you have to just really point it out, paint the real picture. This is what you did, that you said. This was your expression on your face. Da, 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 da. You just had to paint it for them. And some people you say, you know what, man, I struggle with, I struggle with the things I say to my mouth. I talk too much. That's all you need to say. Leave it at that. But we have to do it gently. Galatians, I mean, yeah, Galatians 6.1, I'm sorry. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a, any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And we had to work. Some of us, some of us are, are better at that than others. I'm kind of type A. I can be a little bit in your face, forthright, kind of sometimes. So I really work it. I've been working at that for years. Really work at being gentle. But some of us, you have to work at it. You're just real passionate, ears pinned back, and you're just, you know, what, what, what? I was being sweet. No, you wasn't, dude. You thought you were being sweet, but you're eating them alive, right? Depends on your personality, but you have to do it gently. And depends on the person, right? We don't always get it rightly, but we got to work at being gentle. And, and another thing, too, when we rebuke somebody, sometimes we have this thing, you, you bring it to their attention, and you're just kind of sitting there like, and, 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 and what are, you, what are you supposed to say right now? That doesn't, 99% of the time, that doesn't get the, the, the response you're wanting. Oh, you sinned against me. Josiah, I'm wanting you to, and what do you owe me? What, what's supposed to happen now? You're supposed to apologize? That doesn't, that doesn't happen, does it? Even, especially husband and wife. You know, hopefully, you know, do this a lot, or I do. I have to apologize. Sorry, I was wrong, you know. But sometimes we, we point things out, and you let that thing lie. And I always say this. I say it all the time. If they're a believer... Now, it's different if they're not a believer, right? We handle this totally different. We expect a lot less out of lost people. And for some of you, you're married to people who aren't believers. And I just say, yeah, I'm sorry. It's terrible. Expect a lot less of them of, than a believer. Lost people act lost. But if I point something out in Kevin's life, I just point that out. Love you, brother. Just wanted, wanted you to know this was hurtful, this is what happened, this is how it hurt me. I love you, I just need to point that out to you. And you let that thing go. There might be an immediate response. More times than not, it's not. What, what does Kevin need? Usually two or three quiet times, right? He needs, you know, 1,200 miles in his big truck. And the Holy Spirit, what's he do? The Lord puts him in a full Nelson and then breaks his heart, reveals to him, yeah, that was wrong. You know what? He was right and I'm wrong. And then he calls me. Hey, you're right, brother. Love you. Sorry about that. Hope that never happens again. Yeah, man, I forgive you. Love you too, brother. Now, it always doesn't work like that or happen like that or, or in that way. But we have to be gentle with our rebukes. And pointing out sin is not, not a valued characteristic in our culture. Um, you think about tolerance and what tolerance, how tolerance used to be defined. Tolerance in year, years ago used to be defined like um, everyone can express their view, their opinion, but you don't have to agree. You can disagree with them. In other words, yeah, everybody can have an opinion. We tolerate your opinion, but we're not going to tell you that it's right. We might have to say, well, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but that's wrong. 
Now, tolerance means that everything goes, right? Everyone can have an opinion and all opinions are equally valid. But that type of tolerance has no place in the church. It's in our culture, it's running rampant, has no place in the church. Your view, your opinion is, is valid and true and awesome only if it aligns with Scripture. Only if your view is the same as Jesus's. If it's not Jesus' view, I'm hearing what you're saying, but that's not true. That's not right. It's not biblical. And in rebuking others and pointing out sin is not valued in our culture either, but it should be in the church. And we talk about that all the time. We need to be good at rebuking, admonishing, forgiving. We need to be good at that in our church. But, but this whole rebuking business, if you want to rebuke somebody, you're not in a good place to do that. If you're like, oh, I can't wait to talk to so-and-so, I'm going you know, to point out their sin. No, what you're saying is you're, you're going to give them a piece of your mind, right? And you probably don't need to point that out. If you're fired up, all raring to go and can't wait, eh, you probably need to sit on that for a bit. Go when you really don't want to go, when it hurts your heart to go. That's when you're going to be able to give that rebuke gently, right? Yeah. And it says forgive. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Well, how many times? It says here seven times. And, and in fact, in the parallel passage in Matthew 18, it says 77 times. Now, if one sins against you seven times in a day, you may begin to question their sincerity of their repentance. But the point here is not to put a limit on how many times you should forgive. The point is go overboard with forgiveness. What if they don't repent? Does that mean that we don't have to forgive? No, I just think you have to have that posture of forgiveness. Meaning, be ready if they come and say, man, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Be ready to forgive, wanting to forgive, wanting to reconcile. Let's be careful not to cause other ones to stumble because God takes that very seriously. But we have to deal with that biblically. Correct, point it out, but do it gently. Longing for reconciliation, longing for them to be reconciled, longing for them to repent. But man, we really need the Lord's help to be able to do this, don't we? This conflict management. And we have to do it all the time. We do. If we're going to be godly people, if you're like, man, my goal is to really, I'd really desire to know the Lord. My desire is to be Christ-like. My desire is to love people. My desire is to make a difference in this world. Well, if that's you and you really want, then you're going to be, you're going to get good at doing this. Conflict management. And there's some of us here, we just don't do that. We sweep it under a rug. We, don't, we haven't learned to do that. We sweep it under a rug until we get mad, and then we either blow up or just leave. And there's some of us who, they want to point out things all the time. But we have to get good at conflict management, of dealing with conflict when someone sins against us. When do I let that go and just be gracious and loving and bear, and then when do I bring it up? And we don't always do that well, but 
we as, as the church, we need to do this well. And as individuals, we need to, if we're going to be godly, if we're going to be like Christ, we have to be able to, to do this. But look at verse 5. And you're probably wondering, Jamie, when he read this, he kind of read verse 5 and stopped. We just don't have time to go through the rest of this text. But you see verses 1 through 4, and then it's I think it's tied in. The apostles, it, I mean, it's a conversation he's having with the apostles. And all of a sudden, they, they, he says, this is what you do. You rebuke, you, know, you rebuke them, and then you forgive them. It's like, how can we do that? I think that's what he's saying in verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he goes on about faith as small as a mustard seed, and we're running out of time. But I think what, he's, what, he, what the disciples are saying there, they're saying this. Man, help us, Lord. Help us. Increase our faith. Help us. And, and that's true. And I'll just tell you, if you want to handle conflict well, you need to be a believer. And there's, that doesn't mean that you, ha you can't do well and be nice and sweet and be lost. But to be able to deal with people's sin and with a desire for them to Repent and know the Lord and be reconciled. Boy, you really need to know the Lord. Relationships, they're important to us and they're, they're important to Jesus. And how we handle them, these conflicts, these inevitable conflicts will determine how edifying and God-glorifying our relationships will, will be. By way of application, number one, um, who are the little ones in your life? Who are the little ones in your life? Let's be real. Let's be really careful and diligent and be on our guard not to cause them to stumble. Number two, when sinned against, admonish or rebuke as one who sinned before. That makes sense? Admonish and rebuke others like you've sinned before. Do it gently with the goal of restoring that relationship. And thirdly, when sinned against, forgive just as you've been forgiven, right? If you point that out and they, they ask forgiveness, they want to be reconciled, then you reconcile and you forgive. And maybe the question is, is there someone that you need to point something out to or is there someone that you need to forgive? And we'll close with that. Because the Lord wants us to be gracious. He wants us to be forgiving as he is forgiving. And that's hard to do. That's why the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. That's hard to do. Conflict Management 101. We got to work at it. We need help with it. And we don't always do it rightly. Sometimes we get it wrong, and that's okay. We keep pressing on. If you've, never, if you've never repented of your sin and trusted Christ's work on the cross as your own, I want to encourage you to do that. Dealing with people is a lot easier when you know the Lord. The Lord took on flesh and became a man. He was put on a cross for sinners. Are you that sinner that Jesus died for? He died and he was buried and he rose on the third day. The scriptures teach us if we repent of our sin and trust that he died for us, he rose on the third day, we can be saved. 
want to encourage you to be saved today. I'd love to talk to you about that if that is your desire. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we acknowledge you are good to us in so many ways, mainly in sending Christ to make atonement for us. And Father, we, we desire, because of what Christ has done for us, we desire to give him glory by the way we live and by the way we handle conflict, how we interact with one another. Father, we are oftentimes... not diligent in watching ourselves and conducting ourselves around little ones, young ones in the faith, and we cause them to stumble. Help us to be more diligent. And Lord, when we sin, I pray that you would bring that to our attention, that we could make things right. And Father, maybe for some here as we study this text, there may be some who they are in, right now, in their mind's eye, they've got a picture of someone they need to go and point something out to. Maybe they've been a little bitter, struggling with something that someone's done. Pray that you would give them the grace and to not only point that out, but do it gently. Maybe there's some of us here who we need to apologize for how we've acted and treated someone else. Help us, Father, to handle conflict better in a way that honors you. Father, for those that are lost, maybe the children or students or adults that are lost, that's never, that's never repented, we ask that your spirit would work and your spirit would move in their heart, that they would see their sin and see their need for you. Father, thank you for a wonderful day at church and for men's breakfast and small group, taking the Lord's Supper, just singing wonderful true songs and being able to study your word. We're thankful. And as we leave, give us grace to obey. Lord, let's pray for tonight that our time would be really sweet, that we'd have a good time together. Father, I pray for our meetings that are taking place with church council, that you would bless that and direct our steps because we do it all for your glory. We pray to that end in Jesus' name. Amen.